This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, joined by the legendary former Manchester United defender, Paul Parker. Paul, how are you doing this week? I'm fine, thank you very much, Wayne. It's been a positive week, football-wise, for Manchester United, so this should be a little bit short and sweet in certain ways. Well, regarding talking about United. Yeah, on the pitch. Yeah. Uh, more certainly. Um, before we begin, um, a few little um, bits and bobs to sort of cover. Um, obviously, as always, Talking Devils brought to you in association with Classic Football Shirts. Um, they've got a range of classic shirts and sportswear online. Physical stores now reopened as well. Listeners to this podcast, if you go online, you can get a ten percent discount using TOTD ten. As always, I want to give a little shout out to the Duncan Edwards Foundation and Museum in Dudley, run by Rose Cook Monk. She does a great job in the, running the museum. Um, it's just down from the statue of Duncan in Dudley Town Centre. Dedicated to everything in Munich as well, I should say, um, not just Duncan. Um, obviously, they've been hit hard by the pandemic, but they are reopening soon. It's a not-for-profit venture and a valuable part of United culture. So just Google Duncan Edwards Foundation, you'll, you'll find the appropriate places there. And um, uh, a different one for this week as well. I wanted to um, mention this poll. Um, my wife is friends with um, a lady called Victoria, whose um, whose dad is called Jeff Jeff Petit, and he as a former football league assistant referee. He was actually the referee. Oh, he's the assistant referee, uh, linesman, as they were known by then. When you um, scored your last goal for United at Reading. 
Right. And he, um, unfortunately, he's very ill at the moment. He's been diagnosed with progressive supranuclear palsy. Um, it's an uncommon brain disorder that affects um, movement, control of walking and balance. Um, damaged, um, it's, it basically comes from damage to nerve cells in the brain. Um, he needs 24-hour care, um, and th- his family are raise- doing a fundraising thing through just giving for for Jeff so we're going to put the I mean obviously the cost of that care is incredible so I'm going to put the link to that in our description just if anyone wants to um know that but it's just strange I just thought it's definitely something we should mention obviously the little connection that we've got um having having played and obviously didn't see anything wrong with your goal because it was such a beautiful strike <laughs> wasn't it Do you know could have disallowed it for the bobble but uh, no it was a beautiful goal um yeah so I think what I'm going to do is move the football to the the back end of this podcast Paul because the major talking point this week is um of the the European Super League that was announced sort of in the afternoon yesterday there's been rumbles of it for quite a little time now um I did want to like say before before we get into talking about it, um, the idea of it isn't terrible. I mean, and it isn't actually even just a modern one. I, when I was researching for the George Best book, I read a book where he one of his books written in basically as his words, but with a ghostwriter, obviously. And he actually talked about a con- this was back in nineteen sixty eight. So they were obviously playing in the European Cup at the time, but he was saying replacing it with a continental Super League, which. Basically, he was saying the European Cup was like you know it being a knockout um, competition. He felt like the the way that it was going to move was the the best teams in Europe should face each other in league format to make sure that they could really determine who was the best, um, and that you you know that in such a proposal like, it'd be difficult to sort of take the the first members out of that team you know by like you know by next year's champions you would have to sort of go through a different kind of qualification process um, so obviously the idea's been around for a long time and, and we can't forget that United themselves have been pioneers obviously in European competition with Sarah Busby but also worldwide competition I mean when they played in the Intercontinental Cup in 69 against Estudiantes in 68 I should say 68-69 that was done um, I mean the Intercontinental Cup had been going on for a few years but they were going to scrap it because it was getting so violent but Busby was like no we're going to keep playing in it so United have always been pioneers in that regard but I think it's the close shop aspects of it, Paul, that's really got um, people wound up. The fact that it's just a group of clubs, super clubs, who just want to play with each other. And it's really riled a lot of people up, like talking about how it's going to alienate the, the common fan, the regular uh, match-going fan, As, especially considering that there aren't any match-going fans at the moment. Um, we've seen the way that the um, the owners have sort of dealt with the club over the last 15 years and um, before you came on the podcast and were my wonderful co-host um gordon hill was someone that i would do regular podcasts with before he moved to seattle and the time difference got too much and he would always talk about there would be two two common phrases he would use one would be that the owners of the club are just the custodians of it so don't get too you know if you've ever felt disillusioned by the state of the club just remember that they only own it they're not the actual club themselves the club is a history and everything like that and I, I always felt reassured by that and he also he, he always talked about there would be a European Super League but I think he thought it would be along the concepts of what 
George Best had sort of said in 1968 and not this version where a group of clubs, I mean, Gary Neville was saying yesterday how United and Spurs aren't even in the Champions League and obviously a club like City have never won it and they're just a fairly new club in terms of power. Um, where, where do you stand on this one, Paul? I mean, obviously, um, you, you played in the European Cup for United at a time when, you know, the, the pressure was really on. For, you know, you, you were in the first team that won a league after 26 years, then they wanted to go and win the European Cup and you've you probably lived with that for a long time and people saying you should you, well I know that you have that you should have won the European Cup because the team was good enough and you, you understand all the tradition and everything that goes along with it so where where does this one sit for you um, is it part of the evolution of the game that we've got to accept or is it is it something that um, sits uncomfortably with you it doesn't sit well with me at all because a bit like Gary Gary Neville and Gary spoke really well because he was speaking from his heart now that he's involved and you know he's invested in in lower league football a club which is a lot in his heart as well as a boy the area everything about what he's invested in is about him so he's he got he got very emotional about it and I make him right because in certain ways I worked um, in the media for two, three years with lower division football. I managed in lower division football and I look at that aspect of it. What does it do for them? It does nothing for them, not at all. And that's why I look at it. I look at where football was made. Still, still people want to invest in it as much as possible. Everyone wants to be involved in that level of football. It's local football. And that's the bit we've got to remember as well as we talk about the football league as well they're the ones who are going to lose out on this they're the ones who are going to get nothing from it the big clubs the bigger clubs will get a lot will get a lot from it and when I look at the teams who are talking about going in it and what they've done in recent years or what they haven't done but they're big clubs now because of the money they got and it tells me the football is going down the wrong path and when you you want to build a league that says we're, we're one of the big boys oh yeah and by the way we're always going to be because it doesn't matter where we finish, we're always going to be in a prime spot to pick up every dividend possible in football because people want to invest because of the names in this league. Then it's wrong. Where's competition gone on the side of the people who are pushing to get their clubs in there? And the people, what about the competition for the people who are playing? How are players going to adapt to suddenly playing? Well, it doesn't matter. Tell them that it really matters to win something, knowing the fact of there's nothing to drive them on. If you're sitting at second, third from bottom, or even worse, bottom, it makes no difference to you. Yeah. It, it's virtually turning out, and when it's ironic when you mention Manchester United and you mention um, Liverpool, American owners, when they've got leagues with no relegation. Yeah. No. no so, so there's nothing, nothing there for anybody at all, really. It doesn't grab me. I do not want to be watching or involved in European football week in, week out. I like the fact of where I am. I mean, if there's derby games in the Premier League, if there's derby games or games in the Championship or the First Division, I, I do all games. I do, I do all level games. And if I'm not working on a Saturday, I go and watch a non-league game. And that's me. I don't think the genuine fan, which is majority of this country, the ones who don't support non-league um, Premier League clubs, are, are a majority. And they're, they're not going to enjoy watching European football, that kind of football, week in, week out. Even the ones who support Manchester United don't. They want games against Manchester City. They want the games against Leeds. They want all those kind of games. European, it should be treated as what it is, 
um, as a as a bonus for achievements of what you've done the previous season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like um, even the remodeling of it is is basically just a dressed up Champions League, but with them in control of it. It's not markedly different. Uh, it's just that they kind of control, and therefore because they kind of more control, they can have more money and. You know, what I really, what I think is sitting uncomfortably with a lot of supporters this morning, and myself included, is that I, football supporting is a very hypocritical business. You know, like you can support one club and then you're judging another club for doing the same thing. And, you know, I accepted that, you know, at some point when I was growing up, I still thought, yeah, all right, I am a bit of an hypocrite. So you've got, just got to embrace it as part of the fun of supporting football. But then it becomes less about fun and more about discomfort because obviously there was the takeover and people started protesting. And then it was like, what's your level of protest? Are you going to the games? Are you buying merchandise? Are you going to in, instant megastore? And everything like that. And I did it for, for a long time, Paul. Didn't, didn't go, didn't buy tickets. Because I felt that was me protesting against the owners. I wanted to, it wasn't barely making a dent. It didn't make a difference. But I thought that's my little thing, and I can say that I've done it. And then I met my girlfriend, my wife uh, now, and you know, and I wanted to go to football with her. So we got tickets. So immediately, I'm an hypocrite. Do you know what I mean? And that was always something that felt difficult for me to so you know what I mean I'm dealing that with myself you know that's a personal thing am I an hypocrite for doing this and then obviously as you know writing a few books um, and having them sort of promoted by the club in certain ways you know the, the George Best book for example is stocked on the, the club website and in is it in the magazine I used to buy the magazine to see what play ratings they gave you <laughs> do you know what I mean in the early 90s and though that was part of my growing up and you know even us talking you know this Paul you know I, every day every week sorry I start these podcasts saying oh Manchester United legend Paul Parker but you know what I mean that you know it comes from me being a fan and feeling lucky to talk to you every week um, and I, I never take that for granted and I and I just feel so disappointed, like, these kind of things. I think we talked about it just after Christmas. Remember me saying that we took my nephew to Old Trafford for the first time and bought him a shirt? And that I bought, he wanted me to buy a shirt, so I did. And then immediately I'm thinking, am I an hypocrite? Because I once sort of said that, not even once said, but I once boycotted it myself and thought that if you weren't doing that, if you were boycotting, that you were sort of, showing against the owners and then you've sort of given into it and you've given into what modern football has become and I just feel like I'm so uncomfortable with it this morning because it's like again it's another thing like what are you going to have to what are the what is the fan going to have to be put up, put up with before it's too much and I know in my heart Paul that it's not too much that I'll still continue to watch because United aren't it's like when Gordon was saying United aren't the owners they're the players they're the you the the memories that I've got of talking to even Fergie about Jimmy Murphy, do you know what I mean? That's how I associate my relationship with United now that I've been fortunate enough to have those kind of experiences. But even if I hadn't, even if I was just still someone who went every week, it's so difficult to sort of live with. The other thing is like people say, oh, this is just because United will get battered every week. I'm not bothered really about that, but that is a part of it, isn't it, Paul? When you look at it, all that's going to happen is City don't need the money but they'll use it to buy players and then they'll become even stronger and United will be fighting the lower part of this stupid league that's been made up and City aren't, shouldn't even be in it on terms of credibility if we're talk, talking about the 
the way that people thought the European Cup was going to go when it was first invented and the way that George Best was talking about it, he was talking about the super clubs like United and Barcelona and everything like this. This is just rich clubs taking advantage of money, isn't it, really? It's not to do with sport and elite and integrity. It's, it's literally just about money. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no great thing in achieving it. You, you finish top of, top of that league as a way to look at the American side of it. There's no great achievement. Um, there's no great money spent either. The spending is all, all the money that's coming in is going out to the clubs to participate. That's, that's all it is, really. Uh, do you read? I mean, the big you will go out and you will try and get the best players, but even that, I still think as well, the way that you buy players will change as well. That will yeah. be a big change because are you going to go and spend a hundred million on a player to win a nothing league as such? What, what is the benefit of going out and spending loads and loads of money on the best player? I think it will, it will be turning, it will end up turning into some kind of draft system as well. Yeah. On, on getting players. So you're getting different winners. There's going to be maybe no club is going to stay at the top all the time because otherwise, once you, once, you, once you start spending that money and bringing those players in and winning that league in the current system, there's no way that anyone can stop you. Yeah. If there's two, three sides, no one can stop it happening. But if there's a draft system and it's like a merry-go-round and it moves around every every so often and there's always different winners, there we go, America comes across to the UK. Yeah, It's, it's funny because I, um, I've been recently doing a book on um, writing something on Wayne Rooney and I talked to one of his teammates, Quincy Amariqua. Amariqua. I, I hope that I pronounced his surname right. And he talks about um, how, you know, the MLS Cup that's their basically their they that's the, the main trophy in MLS and nobody cares if you win or lose it. Mm. Well, I mean they care if you win because it's winning the MLS Cup, but if you lose in the playoffs he said, nobody cares. Nobody cares because in certain respects um, players aren't paid extra bonuses or the extra bonuses that they are paid aren't worth the time spent away from the family so you might as well lose early in the playoffs if you're not going to win it do you know what I mean and yeah. and that's kind of like the kind of principle like you were saying there and, and the, the counter products of that of course is like if you're not going to be spending money on players where does the money go and we know like it's not right that they were coming out with the, the statements last night were saying oh there'll be brand new facilities it's alright saying that but United have had 15 years of generating millions of pounds a year to improve Old Trafford, and they haven't done it. So what's going to make it any different moving forward? It's insulting to us. Do you know what I mean? It's insulting when, like, a couple of years ago, we're seeing the, the roof leaking and, and the, it, you know, Edward Wood's dividend, whatever it was that year, would have probably paid for it. Do you know what I mean? It's unbelievable, like... And, but we sit and sort of tolerate it as fans and we just go, okay, all right, because we just concentrate. And I, I'm guilty of this more than anyone, is that I just want to talk about football, especially when Monday morning rolls around and we're talking about it. I just want to talk about what's happening on the pitch. We talk about... It's, it's become so normalised that you and I will talk about the ways that Manchester United should be beating Manchester City next season. That'll be our subject of conversation for like probably later on in this podcast and, and throughout the summer is going to be how can we beat Manchester City because we've become so desensitised to the idea that it's so ridiculous what they've done and it's just going to be that on a larger scale and I just feel so disappointed that United are part of it because they've got the integrity and the sort of standing to sort of step back and say no we don't have to be part of this it's ridiculous do you know 
I don't know. I mean, from your perspective as a player, you played in a World Cup, you played in the European Cup. What was the incentive, Paul? I know the, the amounts of the game. Having said that, the amounts of the game were probably still... They were good compared to the, the regular working-class man, but they weren't as obscene as they are today. But he was still driven by the incentive to achieve. I mean... Talk about it from the altruistic aspect of, okay, the Super League, if you were going to play Barcelona and Real Madrid, that would appeal on a competitive sense, right? From from you going in saying, all right, this is what we're involved in every week, possibly playing against clubs like this, but not playing against Spurs and City in a European Super League. Oh, that's exactly right. <laughs> you, you don't. I mean, when you talk about playing European games, you play those games... As a, as a competition as that little bit extra that bonus of achieving something as I said earlier yeah. previous so you go into that you don't want suddenly want to be playing Arsenal Spurs City and that they're, they're your domestic games they're the ones that are saved for the people here in the UK and maybe the followers outside of the UK they're your they're your, they're your bread and butter games they're the ones that you must win your everything family life everything you know you know, run. You know, is around is built around that. So when you talk about all of a sudden that you you got your Barcelona, even your you um, your Barcelonas and all them coming in the Real Madrid, Real Madrid, it's not the kind of thing that I don't think people want that week in week out. Yeah. They're not. It's not really what football is. How people see football. And as me as a player. Yes, I've, I've played in a World Cup, which is something you you think about. And you play in your back garden as a kid, and you you get in there and you and you think about playing in a World Cup final, playing against Brazil, and then you think about playing an FA Cup final, and then think about playing for a big side. But to think that we all of a sudden kids are going to be in the back garden, and, and all of a sudden they're they're bringing up names of European players because who their their team, i.e., say their Tottenham fans coming up, they're going to be talking, you know, bringing out Spanish names. You think to yourself, well, that doesn't make sense. They should be talking about who they're playing against, Arsenal players. That's their big derby games, and then not to have all the European teams in there as well from other countries. It doesn't make sense. It's like the Champions League. Why is the Champions League called a Champions League? Because not every team's in it's a champion. And how can you call a team a Super League when you haven't got teams from other countries in there as well who are not, yeah. who are not participating? So how can it be a Super League? It's just absolutely... They're using names which they shouldn't be using because there's going to be nothing super about it. It's so weak. It's super... What? It sounds awful. It sounds cheap and nasty. They actually should. What they should have done is just rescale it back and just go back to the original format of the European Cup. You know, one one team qualifies the champions. Do you know what I mean? Don't have the champions like. Well, even if you want to have a league structure, at least just have it with the champions. Don't have the runners up and stuff like that. Scale it back to that. Do yeah. that. Go the other way. That's the way to re-establish the integrity of it. And you're not going to lose money from that. You just reschedule it to be that way instead of this way, which is like... I mean, Neville's right in what he's saying about um, United. You know, they are, they don't have any right to be in it. Of course they don't. They haven't won no. anything for, for years. Do you know? And that's the other thing. He's like, yeah, all right, what, what happens 
five games into the Super League when we're flirting, we're not with relegation, but with the bottom place. So you lose interest. Do you know? I'm not going to be bothered. It's, it's embarrassing. It's yeah. embarrassing. They're taking the game away from fans. They're virtually not. I'll go out there and ask the fans how many want it. I think the new age fan will just love it because they live on FIFA. Yeah. They'll love it. Yeah, yeah. They'll make their FIFA even for core. Yeah, FIFA's a, what they've been doing with FIFA. They think, yeah, FIFA's right. This is great. And they think, yeah, and their life revolves even more around FIFA. You speak to the, the supporters, the ones who are there, the ones who are called the old timers who haven't got a clue about the modern game, the real ones who put their club first. Their club first. They look at their club and they'll be honest about their club. They will say, no, this is not what the club's about. Manchester United is about competing to be the best and wanting to achieve that. And if anything less than that, it's about doing it the following season and being the best. It's about competition. It's not about... It's not about just sitting there taking money and just playing in a league because that that is that kills everything about Manchester United's values. Uh, it'd be a league full of Winston Bogards. Yeah, and if it, yeah. no one wants to know that, is just lock him up. <laughs> and, and, and players, you, you lose players, and yeah. you know how players are then going to go and play for their countries. How can they be competitive mm. if their competitiveness is being taken away? We've got enough issues already with players the way they're playing the game. The Premier League is so lethargic mm. and weak at this moment in time. It's going to be even more diluted if it goes to that level. Because what is the drive for players to go and achieve to win? a league title to win a year that there's nothing there the idea of it is to play the, the lesser teams in the Premier League the lesser teams in the Championship the Football League the National League and everything else under the National League is about proving yourself best in your in the lower leagues in your defined area then it goes out nationwide up against teams local from the other end of the country to prove yourself you're, you're the best that's what it's about not to go in a league and who's got the most money that season, who's at the, who can go and spend the most, get the players, wins the league. You don't want to see the top sides playing the bottom side, knowing that the, the distance between them on paper is that big. I and mean, we know games ain't won on paper, but you're not going to... It's all negative. Support, football support will die. Yeah. Football support will die. That intensity in the stands will die. Now at the moment, the way the game is at the moment... People, we, everyone want, want to, we need to get that back when people get in. So the way they're dribbling people in is still making it more and more difficult for fans and for players to get themselves back in that mode where everyone wants them when, when they're playing with a little bit more passion than what they are. But this will just dilute it even more than what it has been this season, which really in theory, in a Premier League standard level, this has been awful to football. Oh. Everything, everything you look at on and off the pitch has been awful. And when I'm sitting, still watching games and hearing men screaming because they know if they scream, it will affect the referee, then I know that football is going wrong. And when I'm sitting there and I'm having to criticise Manchester United players for trying to cheat, then then that, that, that's upsetting, that is really, for me, when I'm, when I'm seeing that players are willing to do that because there's an advantage to gain because of the, the referee and because of the new system they're using as well in refereeing, the fact of the noise they can make to affect the referee's head, then and this coming now as well, it's all the timing of everything is absolutely awful. Why couldn't these people wait until another season even to contemplate it? That's another 12 months to think about it, see how things are, read a situation, gives them a chance to speak to people. 
put something out on social media, as, as, as we know the government do. Test the water, see how, what reaction you get. Maybe somebody, John who drinks in a dog and duck, who's now drinking six pints of Guinness a night because he hasn't been out to do it for a year, maybe just come up and just put something on in. You go, that's a good idea. Yeah. That's, that's, I thought that's the better way of doing it. Don't attack people when they're at their lowest ebb and throw in something like that because they've been waiting a long, long time to get back to normality. And all of a sudden, these, these rich people, these people outside of it, these people who have not even got any relationship with the game at all, except all they've done is taken money from it and make, want to make all these decisions without even speaking to fans. And I think just maybe just as important... Maybe players. What do the players think about this? Because you, and that's the thing. But players won't be able, won't be allowed to talk to. If they are allowed to talk to, talk, they'll be told what to say. So after one said something, you go, don't bother, because it's going to be a repeat series. Yeah. Um, well, talk about a repeat series. Never let this be said that this is not a finger on the pulse podcast. I'm going to bring Paul some breaking news whilst we're on the podcast and see what your reaction is to this. Jose Mourinho sacked as Tottenham manager. Well, I think that's pleasing for a lot of Spurs fans because their <laughs> football, their football was dying. Him as a coach is he hasn't moved on. Didn't want to move on. Thought he can control it, doing it his way. It hasn't worked out. Me as a closet Spurs fan, I am so pleased that Spurs are going to have an opportunity to get back to the norm. Because I think at the end of the day, Daniel Levy made a massive mistake in bringing someone like him to win a trophy. Because, as I know, and I've been saying it for years and years, he doesn't just affect what happens on the pitch. He affects what happens in a football club. And I think Daniel Levy has seen what's happening to his football club. And he's seen what's happening to his players on his pitch. His, his players were dis, disgruntled. Harry Kane got injured against Everton. I don't know how injured he was. But I see when he shakes his head, I thought straight away, that's a bad one. Or was he just shaking his head saying, no, this ain't right. I've had enough enough. of this. I've had enough because he wasn't enjoying it. Son, some of the things he was doing wasn't him. I didn't like what he was becoming. Mm. And I say it again, and Herrera become that kind of player as well. Mm. He took away everything that he had to play in the fashion. Um, Lo Celso, that kind of a very good player, but suddenly he wants to become a hitman, go around trying to be some kind of schoolyard bully, changed his ethos of the game. So, no, the whole thing's wrong, but he, he walks away again, an even richer man. And I do not want to see him walking around any football pitch in the UK with three fingers in the air, in the, in the air pointing about doing a treble and talking about history. Because you all know what history is. It's history, and it's gone football and life today is about now because three, four days after something big happens, people have forgotten they've moved on. He's got to move on now. He's got to go and improve himself as a coach and a man manager and maybe he can come back and manage a lesser team somewhere but you can't get, let him go anywhere near money again. Yeah, probably all signs point to Juventus, don't they, for, for Jose Mourinho? I don't, I don't personally think so. I think, I think Juve are, are better than that. They'll know what's happening at Inter Milan. I think they'll be better than that. Yeah, yeah, but it could be true. Um, on history, just to close on what we were talking about earlier with the, the Super League, obviously it will be difficult, like you said, a lot of people will be waking up this morning, fans feeling disillusioned. I just want to say where I'm coming from with this, you know, obviously um, I've said it before, I'll say it again, it's the players and it's the coaches who established the football philosophy at Manchester United. Um, Matt Busby, Jimmy Murphy, um, 
everyone remembers Wembley 1968 George Best scoring a goal like only he could um, United it's even relegation in 74 and having the biggest following in the country the new camp in 99 the incredible football played by uh, Paul's team in the early weeks of 1994 which still gives me goosebumps when I go back and watch that football um, being proud that even though we're chasing neighbours who are richer than we could ever imagine um, we have teenagers scoring goals for us yesterday who come through our goal um, our, our own youth setup. so let's talk about that Paul United 3 Burnley 1 and really you said earlier every game's the same or words to that effect and it is because that game was exactly the same as Chelsea versus City the day before you have one team in any game of football at the top level now you have one team who doesn't want to lose and one team trying trying to win and and I say by trying to win it's just a matter of percentages where that sliding scale goes up the pitch I mean I guess Burnley were trying to win but they understood their best way of winning was going to be the counter-attack because they can't say that they didn't go for it because obviously they, they scored a goal and Chris Wood was a bit of a handful yeah. and they could have they could have scored more but they were very content to sit with 10 men in the box and United have played that game nearly every game this season a couple of times they've played it as the other side you know when they played against City but rest the rest of the games has generally been like that you know they've just and we've said in the last few weeks that, or I've said, I'm mean, giving praise to United to, for finding a way to of breaking through these teams. And um, that was the case yesterday, wasn't it? Because it was really, it was all about the um, the cleverness of Mason Greenwood's finishing, wasn't it? It was. That's, that's what it needed, really. Because when you see at one point, United had that 80% possession and it went down to 72 in the end, what the way it finished. United are not a good team in possession, too much possession. Yeah. You want them to be playing. It's the goals they scored is all about breaking quickly and moving the ball quick. And I'm working on the game. I was getting so frustrated because everything they'd done, which was positive in that first half, was moving the ball quick. But the moment the two centre-halves get the ball... They slow it down. They have four or five touches. Even if you make a pass out from one side to the other, it moves people. And then you get somebody who maybe get on the ball is creative who can exploit it. But it was just ponderous. It was going to McTominay, to Wambasaka, Wambasaka back to McTominay. A roll over of his foot. He rolls his foot over the top of the ball every time it comes to him. And then he'll pass it forward. Then it'll come back. It was ponderous. But every time they moved it quick and anything that happened with United yesterday, which was sharp, effective, come when Luke Shaw moved forward. He was, he was like the trigger and he moved forward to get it going because maybe he was getting bored of it because it was ponderous and they kept doing it and it keeps saying that if you're not a possession team, and there isn't many, City are the one that comes to mind straight away and they're the only ones who do it with any, any great purpose and any great success... You, don't, you can't play that way. You have to play in a fashion that suits you. And United don't at this moment, and they need to understand that if you look, if you look at the game, you look at who do you want on the ball more than anyone else in your team? Bruno Fernandes. Can you find him? No, I can't, but he might if I move the ball quicker to him. But they don't. It's too slow sometimes, and it was good when it actually went into Bruno Fernandes. It went to, it went to Luke. It was given into Greenwood or it was given into Marcus Rashford in the second half yeah. not the first half because he was poor in the first half second half he was better and he's another player who seems to enjoy and get more 
from playing on the left than playing on the right. Mm. Playing on the right, it doesn't seem to have the same idea or drive. So it, the second half, again, was, a, was better than the first half as it was against Spurs. In certain ways, well, both teams were poor at Spurs in the first half. But for them to go out and beat a side, which has been a hindrance at Old Trafford for quite a while, and beat them by sheer hard work in the end, and then just getting that break that breakthrough made such a difference and it took the soul out of out of a very resilient Burnley side who in theory were more adventurous at Old Trafford than what they've been in a long, long while. Yeah, they were good in the second half, I They were they were decent in the second half. And I tell you what, Chris Wood maybe has had, had one of his better better games for Burnley, because as you mentioned, he was a threat. The two centre halves couldn't deal with him. Could not deal with him. They did not like him. He was he was too physical for the two centre halves. And I would say though, like, because we've given, I think we've turned the corner a little bit. Not to say that we're completely convinced, but we've definitely been giving more praise to the defence. And I would say, you know, I'm the first to jump on criticism. Certainly, at Lindelof and, and more recently Maguire, but. I think that was more about Wood playing good yesterday. He really did play well, so rather than mistakes from from the pair. So, um, but having said that, then you think a better defender possibly doesn't have the headache. Um, but I do think that Wood's movement was pretty good. It, it wasn't bad, but I always and look at me and compare to me, and I talk about always one of my biggest challenges was always having to man Mark Sparky. And the one thing I knew when I man Mark Sparky is that I. I know what Sparky's strengths were, and technically at his time he was one of the best in the prim in in the football league, I should yeah. say more than anything, and and one of the best when he got to play in the Premier League when it started in '92, was his was his physicality, his technique when the ball comes into him, and his holding up of the ball, and his strength, and the fact of if his grandmother tried to tackle him, he'll tackle harder. That's how <laughs> that's how that's how Sparky was. So my philosophy was he's stronger than me. His touch is very good. So if I go physical, I'm never going to win the ball. And all I'm going to do is get myself hurt because Sparky wants to fight me. Sparky spent most of his time trying to find me because I was a yard off of him and letting him have his first touch and then nicking it off of his toe because yeah. he had no one to fight with. And he used to get the up me. He would, he would lean back to try and find me. I was never there because I knew I couldn't fight him. He was too strong. You know, everyone's seen the size of his legs. You know, so he's too strong. So those two, white, you can't fight fire with fire. And with Lindelof, you, Lindelof can't go physical with anybody. So you've got to play with your head. Maguire, got to play with your head because you're not the quickest. If you go try and go aggressive, you give away fouls. And how many fouls do they give away in dangerous areas by trying to win the ball every single time? And you just wanted them to say, you're facing the wrong way, Chris Wood. You can't turn and run past me because even Harry Maguire can say, you're slower than me. <laughs> so all I, all I want you, yeah, all, yeah, all I want you to do is to pass the ball back. If you pass the ball back, that means I can drop off. Nothing's gone beyond me, so I can then see the ball and you. Yeah. No silly fouls given away or every time, or trying too hard to win the ball to kind of look at me, look at me. I've won the ball. I'm great, and it caused them massive problems. Top sides with good centre halves don't do that. They really don't. If they can't nick it off your toe, they'll stand behind you and say, well, you're not going to turn. Mm. Didn't, didn't do it enough. And it made it helped Burnley. It really helped Burnley to do that. Chris Wood will never have an easier game than what he had there. He's never had so much time. He ran behind Harry Maguire once, and I went, wow. He ran behind Wan-Bissaka once, and I went, wow, wow. 
Mm. And, and that tell, he caused them problems, and that's just playing with his head. And, and so on that side of it, it wasn't very good. Defensively, for Manchester United as a back four unit, it wasn't good. The only player who comes out of credit at a back four was Luke Shaw. Again, yeah. Because I can't find anything to say what, with his defending or what he done going forward. Because if he doesn't go forward, United don't score, don't get opportunities to score goals. He's the outlet to the, Before I'm looking at um, Bruno Fernandes, I'm looking at Luke Shaw now. I'm putting him in there as creativity. <laughs> yeah. You know? But I, never, to, to I be, never thought I'd say that, Wayne. No, yeah, because I remember the conversations, probably even this time last year, it was like he'd just run towards the box and then sort of lose his idea and then run back. Or, well, it was more, or try it was, and run into channels, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, the thing about, the thing about him, as I keep saying all the time, is that everyone's saying, oh, he's improved, he's this now, he's this, he's that, he's that. Yeah, he, the only thing he's improved on is his physical fitness and his mental fitness. Yeah. Now, if you don't get the mental fitness right, the physical fitness is never going to materialise. Yeah. It's like a chicken and egg scenario. So now, because all, and then all of a sudden to throw that all together and then to be going well, it makes you want to do more. Your ego wants to help you go on. And that's what's getting him, that's what's getting him to do what he's doing now. He's suddenly saying, wow. And all of a sudden he's remembering from when he was a Southampton player and all that now is coming back into him. He's, he, he's, got, he's now got the, the goal to say, I can run forward. And then he's, still got, he's now got the desire to run back because he goes, I'm fitter. I'm not doing that anymore. I, I can do it. And now his recovery runs are better. He's running back and saying, I can get to the ball or I can run to the near post and cover space. And that's what's, what's taking him that little bit further. If your body's not fit, your head ain't, isn't going to be fit. If your head's not right to be fit, you're not going to get your body fit. It's mm. a chicken and egg scenario. And that's the way it works. And you need that. You've got to have that. Regardless how good you are as a, as a footballer, if you haven't got that, you won't be anything in life. Mm. Um, but obviously the game turned on the... the um Centre forward performance of another player, um, Greenwood. Two goals. The second one. Um, oh, wait a minute. Let me let me stop you there. Don't give me. Don't talk to me about centre forwards. He's not a centre forward. He's a player who loves. He play in the middle, and he's always going to pull to the right. That's where his strength is. He goes to the right, and he pins someone down, attacking from the right. He's not a centre forward. Manchester United have only got one senior centre forward, and that's Cavani. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fair enough, but. I should say forward player then, I guess. Okay, that, that works. I can't, I can't <laughs> come back at that, Wayne. Um, so he, um, obviously, the, the, the difference is when you're watching football these days, and maybe it's, it was the same as the, the City-Chelsea game, when the, those defences get compact, the old sort of school of, you know, that, and, and maybe this is making me sound like an old man, but they're kind Young of attacking Kanchelskis and Giggs you know when they just pin the full back down and run at them and get past them you don't see that anymore and because the defences are far too compact so whenever Greenwood got the ball in those kind of areas you knew that he wasn't going to go in that but but then when he got the, the ball in the other areas where um, we could obviously cause damage with the goals he did and um, that kind of style of finishing um I don't know if it's like a modern thing, but you know, putting it in areas where it's likely to get deflections, he's like a modern finisher in that kind of way. Is it? I mean, I know we likened him to, and Solskjaer's likened him to himself, and I do see a lot of that, but he's kind of like that percentages game of knowing that he might get a nick and go past the, the defender or goalkeeper. Mm. That he's quite good at that, isn't he? Yes, exactly right, and I said that as well. He's one of the. He was, 
he'll see that, he'll see the goal, he'll pin someone down and he'll shift the ball and everyone knows what he's going to do but the hardest thing is try and stop him. As much as you say, I know he's going to want to come in on his left nine. I know it, I know it. But you can't stop him because he threatens to go to his right as well. And he can go with his right. Mm. And he will see that and he will shoot and he will take the, and he will take the, um, the punt on that. It's going to work out for him. And that's the, that's the big difference between him and Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford is trying to score the perfect goal. He wants to shift people three, four times. He wants to nutmeg. He wants to leave them on their backside. He had so many opportunities to shoot yesterday, but he kept trying to score the perfect dribbling goal, maybe a George Best kind of goal, and it's not working for him. And all he's got to do is look look across the other side at a younger lad and what he's doing, and he's maybe not, maybe not, I'm not going to come out and say he's a natural finisher, but what he is is someone who wants to score goals. You know, he doesn't want to beat people 10 times. He wants to shoot as quick and as often as possible. And his goals, a lot of it is scored because goalkeepers don't get themselves set enough time to set themselves because he shoots early. And everyone wants to slag goalkeepers off. When they let goals in at the near post, oh, the keeper's at fault. I think that's a myth now. I think that's, that's losing, its, losing its pace now because strikers are cleverer, cleverer now. Goalkeepers have to try and be clever, so they know they can't be conscious of conceding and have that, and that stigma of conceding at the near post because it's gone now. You've got to give credit to people who score goals at the near post. I remember I lost when this is merged into one, but I remember when at Yeti has when... Um, when was his, I haven't seen him for a while, by the way. I've forgotten his name. Christ, I haven't seen him for ages. I've forgotten the player's name. Martial, thank you, Paul. <laughs> Martial, I haven't... Yeah, and he scored a goal at City in the... I was at the game, the... Was it the 3-2? When United won there. Yeah. And he yeah. scored at the near post, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. 2-1. It was, like, it yeah, was last yeah. season, wasn't it? Yeah, last... An absolutely incredible performance that yeah. was. Incredible. And, um, and that goal we scored there. And it, oh, keep near post. What's he doing? It was a great strike. It, yeah. And that's what it was. He knew he wanted to pull it there. It was a great strike. And you can't keep criticising goalkeepers for doing that. Otherwise, go in goal and you try and protect that whole area and not concede at your near post. But yet everyone wants to have a go at goalkeepers. It's like this. Everybody, co-commentators, everybody, we always talk about it because we always believe it's there and, and you do look at it where keepers start their work from as their near post, whatever near post where the ball's coming from. But you have to give credit to the person who's taken the shot. And we, we just don't seem to give them enough credit when they score at the near post. And my, my, Mason Greenwood does it a lot of times. How many strikes do you see he have? And goalkeepers save it with their left foot or just the palm hand and scoop it away for a corner so many times because there was always an intention for him to do that. Very rarely does he shoot across the goal when he comes in off his off his um right-hand side because he knows that he thinks to himself a lot of goalkeepers are looking for me to curl it and he loves hitting shots with power so he can get more generate more power going direct for the near post and then goalkeepers are then having to shift across that means while they're moving they can't get maybe the strength in their legs or more importantly in their arm in their left arm because there's their body's moving to keep it out very clever, very clever what he does. I don't know if he's some if he's spoken to somewhere or it's just something that's been inbuilt in him, but it's clever what he does. It's not just happening, he's actually making it happen because it's in his head. Yeah. 
Greenwood was magnificent yesterday. Um, Turn the game, obviously. That's five straight wins. Um, well, in the last five, they won the last five games. Um, they are now really secure in second place. They got a ten-point lead over Leicester, which is technically seven um, if they win their game in hand. But really strong position to be in. Don't want to be one of those people getting lulled into the idea that there's a title race. There isn't, but they've done well to sort of consolidate in second when it it looks a little bit ropey. Um, obviously through in Europe as well not really much to talk about in that no, one so apart can, from, can we, yeah, can we avoid that yeah um, Cavani scoring a good goal earlier yeah. on uh, with his shin but um, that was basically it um, and then the um, I guess the last thing to talk about really is the, the game next week against Leeds which is like you said it's one of those games that um, not get lost in the shuffle because obviously the Super League what they're trying to propose is that United will still play domestic football but if if the, the threat follows through and the Premier League exclude them then it's this kind of game that gets lost and we've waited for such a long time to get it um, although I would say any trip to Leeds is one of the most um, well, when there's fans there, it's one of the just as vicious as being at Anfield, really. So it's yeah, kind, of, was, kind of good that there aren't fans this time. I was I was going to use the words health and safety, but I think you need, I think you need a stronger word than that really to describe that one. It's a, I never I never it caught me by surprise the game when I played against Leeds for Manchester United. Really caught me by surprise. I never knew anything about it. I was so naive to it. Even naive to about the rivalry between United and Liverpool, really. I never understood, you know, it's about livelihoods and stuff. I never, never got that. I looked at it as just purely about football. But, you know, not, I was not maybe the most knowledgeable and things like that, but I learned a harsh lesson about that. The Leeds one was something that caught me by surprise because I spent most of my years going to Leeds as a Fulham and Queens Park Rangers player and being called every name under the sun. But when you play, when I played at Ellen Road for United and someone calls me a red bastard, I turned around and took that and went, wow, that's something different because I was called another colour bastard before. So, and I, there's more about then, about the jersey I was wearing rather than where it's been all those years before, about the colour of my skin. And when it was, it was the, maybe the most eeriest ground, the eeriest time when I went there when we played them I think in my first season three times didn't we in, in a very short space of time yeah that's right and we went to Ellen Road one, and Leeds were Leeds were warming up we come out and they were warming up and um, that's that's quite strange in that in that sense because while I was at QPR we come out in Drimson and Drabs to warm up at United it was always all together we come out so we all come out to warm up as we just w- went to warm up and you know, all kind of went to the corner where the United fans were to the right as you come out shit as you come out the tunnel. All of a sudden, and it was an evening game, all the leads all the Leeds players suddenly all ran in and we were just left out there warming up on our own. And I tell you what, I don't think there was too many of us who warmed up properly properly. <laughs> there was kind of that whistling and the hissing and you kind of try you thought yourself right and I was one of them I used to love running I used to run almost like touchline to touchline before we I got even touched the ball I just wanted just to feel like I've got a kind of a little bit of a sweat on just yeah. to just to feel before I start getting involved in anything and then kiddo would take us on a little bit before we go in honestly I was I ended up going from one side of the box to the other because I did not want to go anywhere near the touchline. There was taken abuse, which I 
generally did every time I did it off of people. Someone would say something, but I wasn't even going to go anywhere near it because I didn't know what was, could be there if I got too close to that touchline because it was scary. It was scary. The only bonus was is that we won the game and we come out of that one, so that was quite good. I was going to say, at least he calmed down when Cantona signed. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly right. I mean, why'd you, why'd you go and do that? Why'd you make things even worse <laughs> like that? I mean, what, the fans shouldn't have been having a go at United. They should have been having a go at Howard Wilkinson. Yeah. He was the one who let him go because he, cause he, didn't, cause he didn't like his method. He didn't want to work hard as a, a man manager. He decided to get rid of him and make things easier. And he got rid of him and kept blooming Lee Chapman as such. So, but there you are, more fool them. Oh yeah, it was uh, quite something. What do you reckon for the game? It's one of those like when they came to Old Trafford, it's kind of set up nicely because Leeds are going to come out and play football. So United have that sort of Sociedad mentality where they can counter attack them. Yeah, I mean they do leave things open for teams, but we have to, you've seen them when they went to the Etihad, how well they done. Yeah. They may be one of the most. I mean, the football's unpredictable at this moment in time at all levels, so unpredictable. But Leeds are maybe the most complicated team in the Premier League this season mm. in, in what they try to do and how they do it. And I've seen them live a couple of times, and what they do is so brave or stupid. The way they clear almost a whole half of the pitch from when their keeper gets it and they, and they play out from the back from a goal kick and they clear almost a half of a pitch. So they virtually go four against four in there to get the ball out. It's incredible what they try and do. But they do it and they keep doing it everywhere they go. Um, you know, But this game for those players, a lot of those players will understand what this, play, this game means. They'd have been told by all the fans there this is the one game they've been looking for Ellen Road all season so United with their unbeaten record it is going to be unless they can get a start like they got in the home game which I very much doubt this is going to be maybe one of their toughest away games yeah at least they've got a full week to prepare for it which um, is which, yeah the first time first time this season yeah, good yeah that, which, is, which is really good I hope it works out as a plus rather than a negative because the players have done well off of playing week in week out as much as everyone wants to moan and keep you coining the phrase oh the players are tired yeah they are tired but as I always say they're not getting up at 6 in the morning and going to bed and getting home at 6 and getting home at 6 at night and digging roads they're playing football something they love and they're doing it they're doing it for a good crust so those players are not having to train as much are enjoying playing games and when they win a game they want to play the next one because they can't wait because they want they can see the way think they can go and grab three points maybe before someone else does on the other side of it if they were to have a poor performance or a beat they've got a quick game to get into straight away to go and get it rather than have to sit down read papers look at social media get abused and all this they've got go wham bam so it's a tier in certain ways a lot of clubs have prospered off of the fact of playing games quite repetitively and yes it's great to have a week a week off but when they've got this week off they won't be doing a lot mm. they'll be just walking around he isn't going to want to push them too hard in training where they'll be working hard in the game different thing but in training they won't do as much they'll be walking through things maybe sort out certain situations like defending from free kicks as what, and corners as United had problem with yesterday being more aggressive don't be standing on the spot like Harry Maguire and allows a centre half to knock you over yeah. all those little bits come into mind which you can talk about so that's maybe one of the bonuses they can they will get 
Yeah, um, going to be an interesting one. Leeds, Manchester United, and we shall endeavour to continue to talk about the football. Obviously, I had to talk about the Super League at the start of this because it's such a big story. Um, but we do try and sort of talk about football wherever we can, um, <laughs> where more possible. Um, but you know, sometimes it's not. Um, um, but yeah, we'll be back next week, guys. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, please leave us a nice review or rating on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, remember TOTD10 is a code for a 10% discount with classic football shirts. We will be back next week to talk about that Leeds game and hopefully no Super League stuff. Um, we'll be back next week. Stay safe, stay well, and thanks for listening. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hold up. 